Well, hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, I was talking with a friend at the end of a meeting just now before I started uh, to record our show for this week. And I said, you know, is, is, is this the apocalypse? You know, I, I never took the apocalypse seriously. It was just not something that was, you know, I just don't, that's not my thing. Um, but then I was saying, I don't know. I mean, this, this is really, we're getting hit from every direction. First, we've got this horrendous pandemic, and then we have, um, you know, one storm after another and, and climate change. And then, uh, and now this like totally incomprehensibly mean and corrupt, self-serving nonsense about how you're supposed to deal with this random uh, mass shootings. So you have a guy, this guy Cruz, who says, oh, we might make sure that there's only one door that is closed. I said, gee, doesn't that sound really safe if there's a fire in that building somewhere? That sounds like the perfect solution. And then you can just have mass killings beyond imagination. Um, I, I, these people just blow me away. So uh, we're talking with Melissa Flournoy, who is a stalwart civic citizen in, in many ways, and, and she took action. And that's what we all ultimately have to do right now, is take action, either that or just be depressed. So um, Melissa uh, got out a communication yesterday that I think has caught quite a bit of attention because I got it from at least three people. So, Melissa, tell us what you thought was something worth trying to do and that we need to respond to. Well, Jean, thanks for having me on the show. You know, I've been around a long time. I was in the legislature 30 years ago. I've been involved in nonprofits. You know, I understand sort of the problems with policy and politics and how things move really slowly. And so, you know, I'm the board chair of a group called Louisiana Progress, and we just started this new initiative called 10,000 Women. And it occurred to me that there are a lot of, of really committed community leaders around the state, women of character and conscience who want to make a difference. And so, um, you know, we, in our group with Louisiana Progress, we're talking about you know, how to affect state policy, how to affect national policy. And then we started talking about gun access and who controls the sale and flow of guns. And then we realized that um, there's a very prominent family, very philanthropic, really good people. Um, the Lipsies, Richard Lipsy and his daughter, Lori Lipsy Aronson, who run a... Um, gun distributor, sporting, uh, sporting, shooting, sports, whatever, gun distributor. And uh, it's actually one of the biggest gun distributors in the country. And so, you know, a group of us, um, you know, Jean, women like you, women who've been around a long time saying, well, gosh, uh, maybe if we contacted the Lipsies, they would voluntarily become more vocal and supportive of efforts to stem the tide and the flow and sale of, you know, these military assault rifles. So I don't know if you saw 
Matthew McConaughey's press conference the other day. Sure did. Um, and, and just talking about the damage that this type of military style weapon does. I mean, they're killing I didn't machines. really know that. I didn't understand yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're killing machines. I, mean, I just thought it was really fast and you could kill a lot of people, but I yeah. didn't know basically it destroys the human body. And especially like little children and stuff. I mean, it's just horrifying and scary. And so, you know, a group of women that I know got together and said, let's do a sign on letter. Let's just ask people privately. This is not going to, we're not releasing the names publicly to, of the people who signed this letter. People that know uh, Laurie Lipsy Aronson and others from around the state. And frankly, it kind of took a, 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 on a, life of its own and people started sharing it randomly and that wasn't the original intent I just sent it to about 30 people that I knew that I thought knew her and then they shared it with others and so we've got about uh, we had about 165 people who signed the letter that uh, we then sent via email text and FedEx uh, to Lori Lipsy Aronson at Lipsy's uh, LLC which is the gun distributor headquartered in Baton Rouge, just asking them to voluntarily consider uh, stopping the sale of these AR-15 military style weapons uh, to civilian gun distributors. You know, I understand the military, I understand law enforcement, I understand how complicated this issue is, but, you know, I just, I think most people have a common sense sort of feeling, Gene, that just your average person doesn't need to go in and be able to buy one of these military-style weapons that are, you know, semi-automatic, shoot a lot of bullets really fast, do a lot of damage. You know, they're, they're really just killing machines. And so, you know, we thought we would give, you know, this local uh, gun distributor an opportunity to, you know, make a statement, get it, you know, step up and be part of the solution. And so we'll just see how that plays out. So have you gotten any, um, and by the way, uh, her mother apparently, if I'm not mistaken, I saw in the letter is um, a Haspel, right? That's another- um, Yeah, I, I, that wasn't included in the letter, but you know, it's interesting the number, now that it's been widely distributed, you know, folks are emailing me and saying, hey, I can't sign the letter because I really know them or, I can't sign the letter because we're trying to get money for, you know, a different nonprofit. Because, you know, these are good, fun, upstanding family. I know, but that sounds so much like, you know, the politicians who are saying, I can't oppose AR-15s because, you know, this base, the, this base of voters that I need to get to make sure I stay in power, you know, are, are, I don't want to have any limits on, on, uh, on, on gun sales. Uh, it, it, it's just what's the difference? You know, they're looking for nonprofit money, and the other guys are looking for a political position. And well, you know, I, I, you know, I just, you know, stuff. well, you know, the Lipsies are a very, you know, very upstanding philanthropic community leaders. You know, in the Baton Rouge area, they do a lot of good, um, and um, so I'm okay. just. But you know, this is how they make a living. They're gun. They have a gun distributorship, and. You know, it's a perfectly legal business. And, and, you know, I understand that they're probably not going to want to voluntarily, you know, stop selling any kind of weapons because that's their business. You know, they're gun dealers. But, 
you know, I do feel like it's important for uh, members of the community, people who know them, to, to encourage them to do what I would consider is the right thing. Um, but, you know, this, this whole issue around accessibility of guns, Gene, is, is just, it really brings out the worst in people. You know, it's like folks just turn off their brain and move to their respective corners and want to shriek at each other. And so, you know, um, I'm from Louisiana. I know people own guns, have guns, shoot for sport, go hunting, all of that sort of stuff. I, I totally get that. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why any sane person would actually want to go and buy an AR-15. I do think that we have a gun culture in our country. And I do think that there is some level of status that somehow is, is gained by, you know, buying some of these weapons of war type weapons. Um, you know, I don't understand a lot of, of the motivation behind that, but it seems to me that that what, what I would say mainstream citizens who are hunters, who are gun owners, um, probably don't need to have a private arsenal uh, of military-style weapons. Now, I will say to you, though, Gene, that there is becoming more and more of an extremist subculture in our country, frankly, that is arming up and, and ready for civil war. And that, that really frightens me because, you know, I just don't think that uh, these semi-automatic military style, you know, weapons that are essentially killing machines should be available to civilians. And, and, and I actually think a couple of the ideas that are floating around are really good, like, like make the cost of these weapons so high that people can't buy them or, you know, tax them exorbitantly. But ultimately, we've got to limit access to these types of weapons are being used far too frequently. You know, Buffalo, Uvalde, Pennsylvania, the synagogue in California and New Jersey, in church shootings. Clearly, uh, a lot of uh, very unbalanced young men are getting access to um, these weapons that have no other purpose than to just, you know, devastate, uh, devastate people. And so, you know, we're looking for different strategies on both a legal strategy, a political strategy at the national level, as well as the strategy around um, voluntary limitation of access. You know, a couple of years ago, Gene, Walmart said they wouldn't sell these type AR type 15 rifles. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods said they wouldn't sell them. You know, I, I think there's an opportunity to communicate uh, with the Lipsies and other gun distributors who can act immediately and effectively to uh, divert these types of guns from the hands of civilian dealers. Well, um, I mean, uh, what I like about the strategy is revealing the revelation of how somebody in your own backyard can be, oh, um, uh, so um, I think that the 
the likelihood that you're going to get this company to stop selling something that's obviously lucrative for them and they're making money and again either money or power is 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 very much a reason why people who may not themselves personally subscribe to having the gun are supporting other people's rights to have them um, it has to do with money and power but um, revealing who's actually destroyed. I was dumbstruck to learn that it was a company in Baton Rouge in my own backyard that was distributing these guns. And not only that, but a woman owned company. Oh my God. I mean- Well, well you know, this is a family owned company that's been around. I think the, that uh, Laurie Lipsy Aronson is the third generation to lead this company. Um, they're well-respected in our community in Baton Rouge and, and in the state of Louisiana. Um, and, and I really do think that these are, are fine community-minded people that, um, and, and the approach is basically to have people who know them to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, do you know that, you know, what you're doing is, is directly related to these particular gun violence. Um, yeah, they, they know it. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I, I understand what you're trying to say that these are I know. decent citizens in our community, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, they're, they are selling, as you said, killing machines. And so I don't regard that as civic and, and innocent and fine standing people. I, 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 I see that as what a lot of companies do, as we know, corporations and uh, smaller uh, foundations and individuals, and they, they, a lot of their giving is to counteract something kind of nasty they're doing. Like, for example, the oil companies that are fracking like crazy, but they, you know, put a lot of money in the arts community as a kind of whitewash. What do they call that? It's, it's not whitewashing. It's um, Greenwashing, greenwashing. Uh, greenwashing what they're doing. Um, and and I, I, I can't. Well, you know, I know that I sound sort of Pollyanna-ish and remarkably naive and sort of pitiful. Um, no, I, I don't but, think But, you know, I have, I have to believe we have to start from a place of goodwill and good intentions, Jane. And then you have to move, you know, escalate uh, the level of the conversation and strategy from there. So, you know, this was an initial effort of people who know uh, uh, the Lipsies. Originally, that was the intent to contact them directly. We're going to be doing a public sign on letter that where we will release the names of the people who signed on to the letter. You know, we're probably we're working with uh, in strategy calls with a number of the national gun rights groups, the March for Our Lives group, the uh, Moms Demand Action, the Everytown folks, the Brady people, the Gifford Guns. I mean, there are a lot of advocacy organizations that are very focused on these issues. And frankly, 10,000 women is new to the game. And so we're trying to look at where we can leverage um, the relationships, the power, prestige, community impact of women across Louisiana to stand up and try and protect children and families from um, this kind of gun violence that you see like in Uvalde. But we also have to deal with the gun violence every day in neighborhoods across Louisiana. And so 
You know, this is a much more complicated issue than just AR-15s. And so I really do think that people of goodwill across the state of Louisiana uh, need to understand the challenges, the complexity, and the opportunities for impact. Because I do think it's limiting access to guns as well as um, all the other social related uh, kind of uh, mental health related solutions that are out there too. Yep, so um, the reason, another reason why I really um, am happy that this particular initiative is happening is that in addition to revealing um, who in our midst is actually gaining from as, uh, you know, the sale of these killing machines, the other uh, reason I think it's so important is that, you know, there's all this talk of these compromise solutions of, um, you know, the red flags and the, um, uh, the, the effort to uh, um, identify people with uh, issues. Um, uh, I don't know, all of these kind of um, uh, soft solutions, which are essentially not going to do a darn thing when it comes to really uh, limiting killing by AR-15s. It's just not going to. It's not going to. I think. I think all the political solutions are longer term and really complicated by this divisive political environment we're in. You know, the reason that we chose to focus on contacting the Lipsy's LLC as the second largest gun dealer in the country is that they personally have the power to make a decision about the supply chain of guns and the type of guns being distributed to local retailers across the country. And this company could make a decision immediately to say, we are not gonna sell AR-15s through a civilian retailer supply chain. And, and to me, that's the most immediate and powerful um, strategy that can disrupt access to these remarkably lethal, semi-automatic, military-style weapons. And, and our goal is to ask this company who perceives itself as a community leader to make an immediate decision um, to stem the flow of these types of weapons. Has that strategy of going directly to the source of the equipment, the distributor, worked anywhere else? Has anybody else tried to do that anywhere? Well, yeah, Walmart doesn't sell them anymore. Dick's Sporting Goods doesn't sell them anymore. I mean, individual national retailers have made decisions not to um, make AR-15s easily available. There are plenty of retailers across the country um, who do sell these weapons and other sort of advanced military-style semi-automatic weapons, body armor, scopes. I mean, you know, it's amazing what you can buy, you know, just off the, at a store or off a, a website um, uh, without any, any real oversight. 
and so, right. so, so yeah, we, we need we need it all gene we need it so all. i was just gonna say uh, i i think that this particular strategy is is you know as you say it's on the money it's right there at the heart of it but um i also i wanted to see during the um event in uvalde and and in um uh, new york uh um and other places where these have occurred i want to see the storefronts and the faces of the guys who sold this equipment to people i mean that guy who sold something to the kid who 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 murdered 19 children in uvalde he had to have some idea that this guy who just turned 18 who bought two not one two of those might be a bad guy well it's also like the kid last summer's uh, you know kyle rittenhouse in um whose mother purchased uh, guns for him you know so it's not just that you know we really do make need to make these guns harder to get um you know it was reported in the news that the gun store in uvalde where the this young man bought those weapons was the oasis guns store someone reported to me yesterday that they they are a uh, uh supplied by lipsy's llc so you know one of the facts are, i'm sorry that lipsy's llc distributes to that particular gun store so the other part of the data we're trying to get is to see, you know, where these guns track back to, you know, who are the distributors selling to these various locations where people are buying the guns. And, and we think that quite a few of them will track back to um, Lipsy's uh, guns in Baton Rouge. And so that's another reason to go directly to you know, the gun distributors or the gun manufacturers to uh, basically, um, you know, make this request. So Melissa, a little bit of personal history that makes this particularly um, grinding for me. Uh, in 1968, I was, um, had fallen asleep in my hotel in Syracuse, New York, watching, the election returns and uh, Bobby Kennedy walking through the kitchen. And um, I was awakened by the gunshots that killed him. Um, and it happened that the guy into whose arms he fell was a guy named Jack Galvan, who was a, an advanced man. And um, I had been working, I worked in Indiana for Bobby and um, I was, one of these young political types who was too naive to know that I wasn't supposed to be helpful to the advanced people because the reason there are advanced people so they can come in and just make a mess, get their rallies done, get out of town. And then, you know, you with the, in the political realm didn't have dirty hands and you could go on and, and do your work there. So um, I'm watching that and uh, it was, that was very difficult for me to see. I went to Washington in 1968 to work on gun control. Here we are in 2022. Well, you know, Jean, well, you know, I think that's what's so scary at this moment in time. You know, uh, I'm an advocate for uh, legal safe abortion, you know, and have been for years. And 
you know, and here we are in the year 2022. Uh, we're about to roll Start back access back. to legal and safe abortion. We're still talking about access to weapons. We're still, you know, it feels like we're at this really interesting or scary moment in time where any of the progress we've made on a range of social issues are all under attack. And so that's one of the reasons that we started 10,000 Women is that we really, I really do believe that uh, the women in Louisiana need to step up and lead. Uh, I think we can make a difference. We need to elect more women to the legislature. Amy Freeman and Mandy Landry and Delisha Boyd and Candace Newell. I mean, the, the women in the New Orleans delegation are phenomenal and they're making an amazing difference uh, at the legislature. You know, they're, you know, we really do have to um, step up our game. Um, you know, one of the other issues is that so many of my friends, their kids are moving out of state, you know, and, and they're not choosing to live in Louisiana. So we're educating a lot of really talented young people who are then going to Denver or Dallas or Washington, D.C. or the West Coast or New York. And and Louisiana needs to come into the 21st century. Um, and that there, there's a range of issues that we're trying to deal with. But I think gun, the gun issue, um, uh, abortion, some of these progressive issues, LGBT rights, others, you know, are really sort of dragging Louisiana down. And, and we need to have a much more um, future-oriented perspective about oh, rebuilding so, our state. Yeah, but it's it's also hard not to see the pattern of where this turning back the clock on these social issues is dominant, which is in the Mid-South region that is one of the poorest parts of America, where there's more poverty and um, and uh, poor education and poor opportunities for people. I am one of those people who subscribe to the uh, uh, notion also that um, there's a tremendous amount of anger in our country and it has to do with the deprivation of opportunity. You know, we're, we're founded on equal opportunity and to, for too many people, equal opportunity has gone out the window with a combination of corporate greed and, and um, policies that favored the loss of manufacturing. And uh, I'm one of those folks who really feels that that's a contributing factor. I'll give you that, you know, I have a lot of people in the black community who every time I say that, they jump all over me and say it's racism, racism, racism. Well, racism is also a symptom of um, fear of loss of control and um, loss of uh, economic opportunity. So um, I think that's, a, that's another factor. And, and that's not something I blame solely on the Republicans because I think the Democrats um, have um, some responsibility for, uh, I won't say abandoning working people, but not doing the right thing, whether uh, it's because a lot of what they try to do gets blocked by the Republicans, and that is true, but also 
Um, I, I'm with the, the people who are out there saying, you know, uh, Democrats, you know, sharpen up your message and say something. And, and finally, you know, we do have uh, Biden up there saying, you know, he really wants to, to do gun control. But it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. Well, well you I, know, Gene, Gene, you said something really important. And, um, and, and I do think uh, the legacy of structural racism is in Louisiana is holding us back. And I do think you see that level of sort of this, this hanging on to the vestiges of the Confederacy, the uh, hanging on to this, this sense of white supremacy, you know, in the legislature, you know, these culture wars around critical race theory. You know, I do feel like fear of loss is what's driving this extremist white nationalist agenda. And, you know, we have to start calling it what it is. I mean, it really is a extreme right-wing, white nationalist, uh, uh, white supremacy agenda. And, and frankly, we need more white people to stand up and call it out and, and figure out how to work in better allyship uh, in lifting up the voices of you know, African-American leaders and others. And it's so hard to do. But, um, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you on your show. I think there are a lot of people of goodwill. What makes me the most crazy right now is that, you know, killing little children gets people all riled up. But we've got little children and young people uh, and adolescents being killed every day in Shreveport and Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Uh, and, and, that other, and, that's a, and, and there's that other form of killing, which I feel very strongly about, and that is failing to provide the education and the skills of uh, uh, training that enables our young people to be a participant in a dramatically changing work world. And so- yeah, we're educating people for the 1800s and not the 21st century. And yeah, we're, and not, we're not helping young people have expectations for the kind of lives uh, that they can lead. You know, we have so many things wrong. It, it breaks your heart. But I will tell you that I think there are a lot of people of goodwill that want to move Louisiana forward that need to have to need to find the power of their own voice their personal power, uh, and we need to make it, um, there's an opportunity for Louisiana when people of goodwill come together. And, and frankly, our politicians are failing us across the board. And, you know, it's, I love that Margaret Mead quote, you know, you know, a small group of committed people can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. Um, and so for our, our, work on this this gun issue, focusing on the Lipsies, you know, really is sort of this effort of a small group of committed people trying to highlight the power of one company and what they can do that will dramatically change the um, flow of weapons right. of war. And so um, that's what we want people to like know that, you know, their voices matter. Okay, and Melissa, power for we're coming to the end of the time frame, but let me ask you to please 
tell people who are interested exactly what they can do to sign up. Tell, you know, be very explicit. I always, when I want to promote people coming to an event, I tell them where to park. So tell them exactly. Well, I, uh, go to 10,000womenla.org, 10,000womenla.org. There's no comma in 10,000. It's just one uh, zero, 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 womenla.org. Okay. Um, you can sign up for that. We'll have a place on our website to sign a public letter uh, targeted towards the Lipsies. We'll have a petition. And then we'll also have links to all these other gun organizations that are that are really leading on this work. So, you know, I really do want to highlight Moms Demand Action and Every Town, March for Our Lives, the Gifford Guns, the Bradys. And there have been people who've been working on guns for a long time, as you mentioned, Jean. Uh, and uh, and we are happy to join join the cause. Melissa, thank you for what you're doing. And um, I really hope that maybe this in some way, if not directly with ellipses, but maybe this starts a movement of calling out the people who are really profiting from the sale of these, again, killing machines. So um, keep, us, uh, keep us informed. Let us know how things shape up. Let's um, have you back and uh, talk about um, next steps uh, as, they, as they are needed and developed. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Jean. I appreciate you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I have Bruce Sanpai Barnes, who is one of the all-time, uh, not only musicians, but... Um, what is what is a trator? I almost make you into a, a, a legendary a Cajun character, Cajun zodical character. But in addition to being a musician, he is an historian and he knows what's going on. And um, I learned from him recently that a lot of what shaped him as a both historic uh, and 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 musical person is his family. And I, I want you to uh, share with us, um, Bruce, that you're gonna be playing this weekend at the Cajun Zodico Festival in Armstrong Park. And yay, everybody get there and have some fun and, and get off this drudgery wheel we've been on. But um, tell me about your family and how the family instilled in you this awareness of your roots and the and the uh, cultural roots of this region. Well, thank you, Jean. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it, really the, the the festival itself is kind of based off of um, you know family uh, events and roots. Both of the Cajun and Zydeco music, uh, Cajun and Creole music, if you will, is always uh, family oriented. So you know, for me, coming out of family where. My father was a harmonica player. And, you know, it's born many years ago, and actually, I'm I am driving right now, and I am exactly in the, the area that my family is from, which is North Louisiana, from a little area right close to Merouz, Louisiana, called like Good Idea. I don't know if it was a good idea, but it's what they had, you know. And you know, my father's father was born in 1850. My grandfather he played. Uh, fiddle and accordion and pipe and the pump organ that you would, you know, like pedal with your feet to make it uh, push the air through the reeds. But yeah, you know, we, they just taught us about who they were and where we came from and 
as I've often said, you know, they, and this is what they really told us. Yeah, we don't have any money to give you, but we can, we can tell you who you are and where you came from, like where your family came from. So when they would have get togethers, they would have a, a family reunion. We have one coming up soon. They always wait until July when it's as hot as it could possibly be in Louisiana. Then they have a big family gathering, you know, and, and at the at the gatherings, it always starts with uh, a delivery of the elders, the oldest people in the family, telling the family history and who and where everybody came from. So that's on my father's side of family. My mother's side of family and my grandmother's from a little area called Winter Quarters, Louisiana, which is now State Park, but it was a plantation as well. So, you know, they came out of those, those areas uh, and music is kind of what tied everybody together. So this Cajun Anxiety Co Festival is the same thing. It's what we do to, to dance and to celebrate life um, and, you know, make it through hard times that we're going through right now. Uh, so it's so important to us, me, the fellas in the band, that, you know, we deliver the kind of uh, cost-effective medicine for people. <laughs> if you will <laughs> and we yeah and we we make it uh possible for people to be able to get rid of all of that stress the grief and all of those things that are like what i would say preventative medicines or other things that can be manifested if you don't let your stress out yeah so you know you have to dance and do so do these things to um to shake the uh the stress off your body, as they would say, to shake the devil off, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's what our music is good for. Absolutely, and I think you're just so lucky that um, your family, and I, 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 I can assume maybe that other families do this too, but for them to have been so deliberate in their reunions of sharing the history and the culture and the roots, um, that's yeah. just that's a blessing. You said that's, that's worth a whole lot more than a few pennies and dollars. So I can appreciate uh, that that was really important in shaping you. Now you've been producing and, and presenting and playing music for quite a long time, but at the same time, you also have been an important source of information for visitors to our national parks. And uh, yes. tell, tell me about that. Well, yeah, I've been a, I was a park ranger. Yeah, for 30 years. And we're driving right now to the Buffalo National River where I started my parks uh, Ranger career, uh, 1984, May 20th, uh, mm -hmm. on the Buffalo River. And the Buffalo River was the first free-flowing river in the National Park Service system. So we're going up to play music and celebrate the 50th anniversary of this national park. So, yeah, career choices. <laughs> yeah, and, Stuck and, with that and that's uh, again. At first, you had the family filling you with the history of your family and your place. And then you have all the history that you've gained over the years of working with the National Park Service. So you know a whole lot, Bruce, and you have written some books too. I, I, I didn't, I wanted to catch that too. If, if you might mention one of the books that you've done. Yeah, so uh, the latest book is called Le Coeur Creole. So it's the Creole Heart. It's a book that has 15 songs that are in it also. Uh, Leroy, a drummer in my band, and I, uh, recorded 15 songs. We translated them from Creole, Louisiana Creole, into English so that English speakers can uh, learn about it. A lot of uh, the songs are about Leroy's family. So we composed songs specifically that, that 
that deal with family and as well as historical figures like Juan San Malo, who was someone who, you know, freed himself and many other people to, uh, uh, you know, but create a maroon village just outside of New Orleans uh, on June 19th, uh, 1784, you know, he was hung in front of St. Louis uh, Church. So wonderful book, has a lot of Creole history in it. It's not just a one-shot thing, but speaks about Creole in Louisiana and then other places like Martinique and Haiti. And it kind of gives a perspective of where Louisiana Creole fits in the, in the uh, diaspora around the world. Um, it fits in the sense that it has been kind of a, uh, as uh, it's a cliche, but nonetheless uh, a va validity. It's such a gumbo with all of that, uh, those cultures from so many different parts of the world um, are, are definitely a part of our life here. And I, I recently learned the, the word uh, Bulbansha, uh, which was uh, apparently a Choctaw, Chittimansha Indian um nation word for new orleans and for the specifically around the riverfront and um so this notion of the mixing of, of people which is part of the american heritage and and unfortunately there are some folks in america who've forgotten where they came from we all came yeah. from most of us somewhere else and so it's kind of a shame that there's this anti-immigrant thing but um here it's, right. again this was celebrated from way back Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and when you look at it, it's the human way of being. I just came back from the Amazon in Brazil this week. Uh, and when you go there, you, you see people uh, that are indigenous people, and they are not what you could imagine, usually just by looking at the media. It's a place that you have to go and see that indigenous people there come in all hues and colors, and, and they think we're crazy when we think that it's like one monocultural place because it's not it's so diverse there are many different groups of folks but i was there with the jirana and the sapai and the kuruai uh those those different uh indigenous peoples and it was just like mind-blowing to see how diverse it is you know um uh, I, I want to throw just a little sidebar question at you uh, because I often uh, say this to people, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. But I think we all tend to assume in New Orleans that the word lanyap is a French word. But I have heard also that it's actually a word from one of the indigenous tribes of Central America. And uh, I've heard it attributed to the yeah. place tribe but what's the story on that um i think you're right it came it was an indigenous word that that uh traders you know french traders and spanish traders but really the french um started to use and 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 just applied it in their own way it's not really a french word that shows up anywhere in 17th to 16th century french other than having been um utilized here in the in this area where we are, that it may have been Frenchified, you know, a little bit, but otherwise, yeah, it was a native uh, word that was used to, to speak about giving a little something extra when uh, trading goods. I, I can't resist asking you this question because this has been a mystery in my family. We had someone who 
worked with us when my mother was in her last years and she was a, a chef. Um, and she used the expression malela. And as far as we could determine, the definition of the word is something like, you know, mixed up leftovers, malela. Uh -huh. Have you ever heard uh -huh. that word? Yeah, yeah, I have. What does it it's, mean? It's a, well, just, just what you said, basically. It's yeah. like a, a, a mixture of different things. Yeah, things thrown together, basically. So is like that a melon. That's 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 a, that's a French expression though, right? And I was trying to figure out ma et la. So yeah, it's like um, kind of like melanger, you know, which is like, like a, a, a mixture. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's exactly. kind of what we thought. That's kind of what we thought. Well, speaking of melange, yeah. the festival this weekend is sure going to be a melange. And um, I, I think if you don't mind, if if you can just mention some of the other acts that are going to be there, or just what you feel like the flavor of the music through the weekend is going to be like. Flavors are going to be South Louisiana all the way. So yeah, I mean, uh, myself, Bruce Dagnapon, they have. Uh, um, Rosie Lede, they've got uh, Corey Lede. There is uh, gonna be, you know, a whole, a whole different Shelby Carrier, uh, Sean Ardwin. Um, they've got uh, the uh, Cajun band, the, the Landry band is gonna be there also. Uh, the Michaud band, I believe, is playing on Friday. Or a variation of the the Michaud band, and uh, so yeah, it's going to be a great mixture of music, uh, Creole and Cajun music there. That's going to be laid out on a beautiful palette. Uh, Dwayne Duke, right in Armstrong Park. The price 11, is right because it's free. In the morning, Eleven in the morning until until uh, I think about seven in the evening. We're playing Sunday. Uh, 11 a.m. bright and early, 11 to 12 30 is our set on Sunday morning to kick off the Sunday set. So it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great the, way for us to shake off the demons. That's right. And the food will be there also. Food and drinks will be out there. Um, I'm pretty sure that the uh, Louisiana Music Factory will be there uh, with music that people can uh, purchase as well. So wonderful time. Uh, great way to get, get June rolling in the city of, of New Orleans and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things going on, but that's going to be a really nice one. Too. I'm looking forward to dancing and, you know, getting into it. So, so I can see uh, that basically I'd love to not only um, uh, hit the, uh, hit the uh, uh, Cajun uh, Zydeco Festival at Armstrong Park, but I might take myself a little um, walk over to the tomato festival and pick up some of those incredible Creole tomatoes, tomatoes right? Along yeah. with, uh, uh, at the end. So Bruce, I'm gonna ask you closing out and uh, you probably would hate this, but would you close out with a song phrase that just kind of, again, entices people to turn out? Oh, well, I would say, you know, a song phrase is like, allons danser, allons amuser, allons bouger, allons bouge ton chi. Ça c'est pour coûter, c'est bon et pas cher. I'm with you. I understand yeah. half of that. 
Yeah. Oh, so, I can't wait. I hope I hope to see you out there. And uh, yes. thank you so much for everything you do and for carrying on um, the traditions that you started with your family, and then your family got yeah. really big. Yeah, just come and see Sunpine in Louisiana. Sunspots will be there, and all the other wonderful bands that are going to be performing. I guarantee you, you'll have a great time. I guarantee you, he's right. All right, thank you so much, Bruce Sunpine Barnes, at the Armstrong Park this weekend for the uh, Cajun Zydeco Festival. And um, so this is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Town Conversations. I can't think of a better way to go out than with Bruce Sunpine Barnes. Thank you so much. What? <laughs> See you later. All yeah. right. Thank See you, you later. So much. All right. Bye bye.